and we're going to get started with our identity series. We're going to read through the first eight confessions as we pass the buckets. Uh, First eight confessions, this is who we are in Christ. It doesn't matter what you feel like when you got up this morning. It's not even going to matter what you feel like tomorrow when you got to get up and go to school or get up and go to work, okay? It's not going to matter. What matters is what God says about you. And so we're going to continue to confess that over our lives. So if you would just uh, repeat after me. Uh, Number one, I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. All right. I act in audacious faith. To change the world in my generation. I have no fear or anxiety. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I am able to fulfill the calling God has placed on my life. All right, let's see if we can close out with these last few with a bang, all right? I am fully resourced to do everything God has called me to do. I have no insecurity because I see myself the way God sees me. I am a faithful spouse and a godly parent. Our family is blessed. I am completely whole physically, mentally, and emotionally. All right, that's who you are. Now, whether you feel like it or not doesn't matter. This is what God says you are in his word. And so when you go out, and some of you got this card today when you came in. We handed them out last week. Put this on your mirror. Confess this over yourself. Confess these things over your family. Confess these things uh, with, with your spouse over your children. And believe it. By faith, believe it. Today we're going to talk about two more. We're going to talk about our influence and unconditional love. Our influence and unconditional love. You know, have you ever noticed, and today's a perfect day for it. If you haven't noticed it, you'll notice it tonight during the Super Bowl. That companies are constantly trying to influence your purchasing decisions. Companies are always trying to influence you. Right? And if they can't influence you, they'll influence your children to come to you and say, I need money for this. I have to have that. How many of you have heard that from your children? I have to have that. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's the, I don't even know what the word is now. Right? It's lit. Okay? I got to have it. Right? It's, it's the new thing. I have to have it. They're constantly pushing for influence. But here's what happens. When we push for influence... Sometimes the companies push too hard or they don't do it right. Let me give you four examples. Clairol introduced the mist stick. It was a curling iron, right? And so the mist stick, uh, they pushed it in the United States. It was a curling iron, and then they pushed it globally. Well, guess what? In Germany, it reads... Get your manure stick because mist is slang in German for manure. But they pushed it out on the billboards. They pushed it out everywhere. And they said, come get your manure stick. Talk about messing up influence, right? Well, how about this? Uh, Parker Penn 
had a slogan, and they pushed it in Mexico, but they didn't translate it properly. And so when they pushed it, it said, it won't leak in your pocket and embarrass you. That was what they pushed in the United States. But when they translated it, it won't leak in your pocket and make you pregnant. <laughs> now, I know a little bit about the birds and the bees, and I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. But when they pushed it in Mexico, they didn't translate it right. Good job, Parker Penn. Pepsi, they pushed in the United States, they pushed the, the come alive with Pepsi generation. And they pushed it hard and big, and, and it worked so well in the United States. They said, hey, let's take it to China, and let's push, push this in China. But in Chinese, they didn't translate it right. In Chinese, it read, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the dead. Have a Pepsi, bring your ancestors back from the dead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't want that. No thanks. Right? But Coke was not to be outdone by Pepsi. And so Coke pushed, uh, followed the heels with their own big campaign in China. Now, I have it written here in Chinese, but I can't read it. But this is what it translates to in Chinese. Bit the wax tadpole. Have a Coke. Bit the wet, the wax tadpole. Good job, China, uh, good job, Coke there in China. Great, great job. You see, sometimes we push for influence so much so <laughs> that we just we just blow it, don't we? We we go overboard like these companies, and we we want to grow our influence and and grow our influence with people and, and influence our children and do these great things for God, and and we push so hard that sometimes we don't stop. And think about, okay, what am I really saying? What message am I conveying? What have I told you, though? You could grow your influence for the kingdom of God, and you could do it nearly flawlessly. Without saying, hey, come get your manure stick, or, you know, um, you won't bring your ancestors back from the dead, right? God has given us all a measure of influence. And I can sum it up in one word. It's called experience. Experience. In fact, confession number nine is this. I am increasing in influence and favor for the kingdom of God. Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I am increasing in influence and favor for the kingdom of God. That's right. That's right. Your experience is your key to your influence for the kingdom of God. What have you been through? What have you, your experiences been? Good, bad, right? Emotional experiences, physical experiences. What are those experiences that you have to influence others for the kingdom of God? There was a man in the Bible by the name of Joseph. And if you're not familiar with your story, I'm just going to share that real quick because I think it's very important in influence. Joseph is a young boy. Let's just start, he's young, he's about 11 or 12. He doesn't quite know when to stop talking. Does anybody have anybody like that in your family? Kai just was like, boom, I didn't even have to get, I didn't even get finished. Kai was like, yes, (laughs) right? We all have that person in our family, they just stop talking, right? Just stop. This was Joseph, about the age of 11 or 12. Well, he has a dream. And he dreams that his 12 brothers are all going to bow down and worship him. And he's going to rule over his brothers. Well, what's somebody do that likes to talk all the time? He runs to it. Guys, you won't believe what I dreamed last night. 
And I can just see, like, in their mind, like, oh, yeah, well, here comes, here comes our little brother Joseph. Lord only knows what he's going to say. They already don't like him. He's already arrogant and full of himself and just telling everybody what he thinks and all this stuff. And then he says, hey, I had this dream that all 12 of you bow down and worship me. I'm in charge of all of you. <laughs> and his brothers are like, no, that's not happening. And if you know anything about sibling rivalry and how brothers just clash, you know what his 12 brothers do? They say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Let's just um, let's knock him off, we'll kill him, bury the body. Dad will never know. We'll take dad this coat because his dad, had, his dad had given him this coat of, of multiple colors, and it was brilliant, and it was a beautiful coat. And he went to his brothers and said, not only are you bowed down to me, look at this wonderful gift dad gave me. And they said, we're going to take the coat, we're going to shred it, we're going to put goat's blood on it or something, and then we'll take it and say a lion got him but we'll just kill him and bury him and say a wild lion ate him, right? Well, one of the other brothers was like, no, 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 we, we, <laughs> let's not kill our own brother unless God's wrath would fall on us. We don't want God's wrath falling on us for killing our own brother, so I'll tell you what we'll do. Dump him in the well. When the, when the trades and traders and the merchants come by, we'll sell him as a slave, and then we'll take his coat, rip it up, put goat's blood on it, and say a lion mauled him, but let's not kill him. Okay, so that sounds great, right? And so they sell him into slavery. Now, what they don't know is that they're setting the stage for God to do the miraculous. So many times in our lives, we think it's downhill. This is a bad situation. We can't use it. There's nothing good about this. God says, no, 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 no. I'm simply setting the stage for you to spread my kingdom and the word and my word and spread the love of Jesus. And so Joseph goes and gets sold into slavery. And the Bible says that he kind of, as you read the story, you get this sense that Joseph starts to come to himself. And realize, I'm arrogant. I'm a loud mouth. My family hates me. I'll never see my dad again. And he kind of changes as you read his story in Genesis. And he becomes a slave, and he becomes such a good slave and an honorable slave that he rises through the ranks and becomes in charge of all the slaves. And then this guy named Potiphar, who's one of the wealthiest men in Egypt, says, I want you to run my house. You are second in charge of my entire estate. You're second only to me. Run it. So Joseph runs it. Well, then Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph, right? And she all but pretty much physically attacks him. And the Bible says that Joseph takes off running. Well, in the process of running, he leaves his outer garment behind. And so what does she do? When her husband comes home, Joseph tried to rape me. He left his coat here, but he heard you were coming home. So, right? And so what's Potiphar do? Well, here goes Joseph again. So he goes to prison. He gets sent to prison for something that's not his fault. He goes back down again. He goes, he's up, he's down. He goes back up, now he's back down. But while he's in prison, you see, sometimes God will do things in our lives to isolate us so that we learn to hear his voice so that we have to cut out everything else. And it, doesn't, it may not be a physical prison for you, but you'll have a moment in your life where you are isolated and God's like, good, I got your attention now. You feel like you're trapped. 
but really I have to get you isolated so you learn to hear my voice. And Joseph begins to learn to hear God's voice in prison. And he begins to follow God in that prison. And he begins to rise through the ranks to the point now he goes before the Pharaoh. And a long story short, Pharaoh now says, you are now second in charge of all of Egypt except for me. You run the country, I'll be Pharaoh. Here's Joseph. Boom. I am now second in charge of the entire country. Until we get to this spot in Genesis chapter 45. Now what has happened? One of the things that led Joseph to be second in charge of all of Egypt is that God spoke to him in dreams. And he had this dream, he had these dreams where there were seven skinny cows and seven fat cows, and the seven skinny cows came and ate the seven fat cows. He saw, uh, he saw that, and so he prayed about that. God, man, this, I had this dream. It sticks with me. I can't get over it. It's just there. God, what does this mean? And God says, well, the seven skinny cows are seven years of famine, and the seven fat cows are the seven years that your farmers are going to have more than enough crop. So you're going to want to take some of those seven years where you have more than enough crop and set them back because you're going to have seven years of famine. And so he does that. Now, the world in that area at that time then suddenly has this horrible famine, drought, no rain, nothing. But Egypt has more than enough because Joseph was connected with God and Joseph planned, planned for the days when there wouldn't be enough. And he set back more grain and more barley and more wheat. And he sets it all back. And now we come kind of to the pinnacle of his life in Genesis chapter 45. Because his brothers come begging for food. They have no idea he's vice president of Egypt. The little runt that was a loudmouth runt that they threw in the well and told their dad he's dead. Let's read this in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1 through 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's house heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Because the little runt they had thrown in the well now controls the greatest empire in the world. <laughs> you talk about, oh, snap moment, right? Can you imagine if you're one of his brothers and you're like, oh, no, this is not good, <laughs> right? Man, I, just, I just would love to be a fly on the wall at that moment. Because they were terrified at his presence. Verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me father 
Uh, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. He says, no, 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 what you meant for bad, God turned into good. God saw ahead and knew that his people, this family of 12 that would eventually, under the slavery of Egypt, grow to be the 12 tribes of Israel that Moses would one day bring out and take to the promised land. Over the next 400 years, they would grow to be almost a million people and slaves in Egypt. Joseph says, no, 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 no. What you meant for harm, God looked into the future and said, no, no, I'm going to use that experience to grow my influence in humanity, and I'm going to use Joseph and his 12 brothers to do it. And they begin to grow and flourish. And Joseph says, don't be afraid. God has a plan in all of this. And here's what I'm going to tell you this morning, that your experience is your influence. The things that you've gone through and the things that you've suffered through and the things that you've expressed joy and excitement about, that influence is your experience to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your experience is your influence. Your experiences are your starting points for influence. The question is, how do you use it? And here's the beauty of, the, of that influence. You can't mess it up because it's already been done. You can say, look, you know, I, I've been through this myself, but let me share with you how I got through it. And let me share with you how the Lord pulled me out. Your experience is your influence. Never, never forget that. That's the beauty of community groups. When we get into a community group, and we start sharing experiences and eating meals together and hanging out and playing games. Or at our community group, sometimes, like, I just randomly, like, especially when it starts to get warm out and Snowcastle opens up, I'm like, community, community group's at Snowcastle tonight. Everybody just go to Snowcastle, right? <laughs> and we, nobody's laughing about that because you all want it and you know it. You're just craving it right now and you can't satisfy that craving. I did a bad thing, didn't I? All right. Anyway, right? And so... What happens in the community groups is you start sharing experiences. You start feeding one another and growing spiritually, right? And we go and we just, wherever your community group meets, whether it's, whether it's Perkins or whatever, you go and you, you sit together and you grow and you share those experiences and you leave there ready to go into work the next day talking about Christ and talking about what Jesus has done for you. So whether it's Lynn and I's more traditional community group, whether it's uh, Richard Harvey's group for men, uh, that he's, that he's going to be starting. Uh, maybe it's Nancy's group, right? Nancy is leading Celebrate Recovery. If you have uh, an addiction or you've been through a divorce or you battle with anger or rage, that's the group for you. In fact, we have, you may not know this, but our church, it's the only Celebrate Recovery in this area of Madison, in the, in the southeast portion of Madison County. It's the only Celebrate Recovery group and that, yeah, you should be giving a round of applause for that because it's specifically designed for people with addictions and emotional issues and so on. It's amazing. And so if that's you, if you've gone through a divorce, you're in the middle of a divorce and you haven't dealt with the baggage, that's your group. You need it, right? Um, and so that's why, we, that's why we do these groups. Whatever those groups are, we get together, we encourage one another, love one another, share meals together, talk through things Encourage, talk about our experiences so that once we talk about our experiences in a safe place, then we go out into the world where people don't know Jesus and share our experience. Right? And we grow in that. We grow through that. The other 
thing that your experiences do is they give you or they give other people a reason to listen to you. Think about that for a minute. Oh, you've been here, you've done that, you've experienced this, you've felt this. You've, you, suddenly now, people have a reason to listen to you. That's why when somebody who has more life experience than me starts to talk, I listen. Because I'm like, <laughs> you've been here twice as long as I have. You probably have some experiences I need. You know, like, you know those people that are like on the game of life, they're like on level 90 or level 85 on the game of life. You listen to them, right? Because they've, they've beat Donkey Kong several times. They know how to do it, right? They know what's going on. And so you listen to them. You gain insight and wisdom from them. You know, one of the reasons that we do the hashtag for lapel, it, our primary purpose is to bring unity and community. But to the core of it, people know, need to know that Jesus is for them. The police department needs to know Jesus is for them. The businesses that we're going to love next, they need to know that Jesus is for them. So when they say, why are you doing this? We just gave them the reason. Guess what's going to happen? We're doing this because we want you to know that God is for you, that Jesus loves you. We're here for you. It's called sharing the love of Jesus. It's giving people a reason to listen to the good news. Right? And Joseph's past with his brothers gave them reason to listen to him. Your past and your experience is your influence. You can't mess it up. So basically, when it comes to growing our influence... There's two starting points to to increase influence and give them a reason to listen. Number one, common past events, things you have in common with them. Number two, love them (laughs) crazy style, man. Love them crazy. I mean over the top crazy that it gets their attention, right? I don't mean just tipping 20%. I mean like tipping 50% of your bill or 100% of your bill. I mean like going out of the way and, and just going up to town hall and paying for somebody's utility bill and just crazy stuff that seems ridiculous. Why did you do that? Because God loves you. God cares about you. Showing people that you love them. But here's the issue. The issue is that sometimes we get so down on ourselves and we're so hard on ourselves and we allow the commercials and the TV and the movies and our friends that don't know Jesus, who don't know who they really are, we allow all of this world that we're not a part of because we're followers of Jesus, we allow the world where we're pitching our tents to influence us rather than us influence them. And as they influence us, we start to say, oh, you know, I'm just... I'm not good enough, I feel like junk, I don't feel good today, or I can't do that, I'm no good, I'll never measure up, I'll never amount to anything. Listen, I got news for you, God does not create or allow junk. He provides connecting opportunities. And you might be embarrassed and might be ashamed of something, but God says that's not a reason to be embarrassed or ashamed, that's a reason to grow your influence, that's an opportunity to grow your influence for the kingdom of God. Will you seize it, will you take hold of it? Will you grow in your influence? Confession number 10. I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. So let's uh, just repeat that after me. I am, I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love 
of Christ. Of Christ. I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love of Christ. You have that ability. Now, whether you choose to use it or not, that's up to you. But Jesus commands us to go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody until all nations know the gospel. And that's going to take sacrificial love. That's going to say, you know what, I really don't care what people think about me. I don't really care if I have an awkward moment with my friend because I'd rather see my friend in heaven. And so seeing my friend in heaven is worth the awkward moment to share Jesus with them. I I met with some gentlemen yesterday morning, and one of them actually said that. He goes, you know, I've known this guy for years. He goes, and I've been working up the boldness to share Jesus. Now, why is it we have to work up boldness to talk about Jesus, but we can talk about anything else with our friends? I mean, I know that stuff's on toes, but honestly. And he goes, but you know what? I worked up the boldness, and I shared Jesus, and I shared my story. And he goes, and it was awkward for the first 30 seconds. He said, but when it was done, I felt so good because I felt better than I felt in a long time anything worth doing is hard and if you're going to share Jesus it's going to be hard but it's going to be the most rewarding thing you'll ever do and if you say I don't I don't know how start somewhere come talk to me right your life experiences you can share this is how Jesus got me through this and so on. The question is, though, how am I enabled? How are you enabled? How are we enabled to share the love of Jesus, to show sacrificial love? It's a fair question. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, it tells us this. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God of our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So we're just going to kind of break this down. We're going to break this verse down because it tells us how we're enabled. First off, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, known as the Thessalonians, and he says, may. Actually, the word may means more importantly. More importantly, Our Lord Jesus Christ himself gave us eternal encouragement. The Greek word for encouragement is paraklesis. Paraklesis, it comes from the Greek word paraklete. Now the word paraklete, you're probably familiar with that. We we have that word in English. It means to come alongside of and support. It means to come alongside of, to walk beside. In fact, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be our paraclete. The Holy Spirit would come alongside us and help us. But paraclesis means to comfort and refresh. So God says that I will comfort and I will refresh you. How many of you can honestly say this morning that you felt the refreshment and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in your life at some point or another. Let me see it. Turn to your neighbor and say, it felt good. It felt good. It felt good. You know it feels good. Why? Because the creator creator of the universe says, I will send my spirit, and he will comfort, and he will support you. In moments when other people think you should have no support, no encouragement, and it's going to feel good. Right? It feels good. And so, 
he provides the comfort and the refreshment. But then the word good, it means that which is admirable. It isn't some hope in the sweet by and by that maybe we'll get there and just somewhere over the river is my house and glory land. That's not what this word means. This word good means that which is admirable and is solid and it's irrefutable. It's not just some sweet hope. It's as real as the car that got you here today. How many of us can say that the encouragement from the Holy Spirit is just as real to us as the automobile that got us here today? My prayer for all of us is that we would experience that, that that would be real. That'd be something that every day we get up and we just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's more real to us than the car we're driving to work. And it's more real to us than the thermostat we have to keep adjusting. That it is more real to us than anything else in this world. That should be our prayer. And in verse 17, the word deed would actually be, could actually be translated our business or employment. <clears throat> our business or employment. It's the idea of working. And the way this word is used in the original text, it implies you're working at it. You're on the job. Now, let that just kind of sink in for a minute. That when you walk out of these doors... This is your break. This is your lunch break right here. You come Sunday morning, you have your weekly break. And when you walk back up those doors, you're on the job. You're clocking in. And you're going out into a world that knows nothing about Jesus. You're going out into a world that doesn't, that doesn't know the patience of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ, the love of Christ. <clears throat> so Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, guys, this Christian walk, it's your job. Do you take it as seriously as you take your job? That's a lot of pressure. Do you know in God's kingdom, when he originally created the Garden of Eden, that the word job and labor was a pleasant thing? It was enjoyable? Think about that for a minute. We think, oh, job, drudgery. That's not the way God originally designed it. He said, now because you've sinned and you've gone against me, now there'll be thistles and thorns and you'll have to work at it. Now you're going to have to produce an income by the sweat of your brow. That wasn't the way it was originally designed. Now when Jesus came, the second Adam came, he says this. He says, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm reverting things back. And so when you follow the call of God on your life, what you do is you find, yeah, there's ups and downs, there's moments you're upset, and moments you're sad, and moments you're happy, but you're content, and you're joyful in your job, because your real job is not what gives you the paycheck. Your real job, your real work, is sharing the love of Jesus. You just happen to do it in a cubicle. You just happen to do it in your truck. You just happen to do it out in the field. That is your job. And if we, here's the other, here's the last word in, this, in these two verses. The word word means the spoken word, not the written word, the spoken word. 
It comes from a root word. You guys will know this. Every parent will know this. Every kid will know this word. The root word for logos is lego. Lego. Lego actually means in the Greek to lay down a, uh, the word escaped me. Lucky you. (laughs) Basically to lay down a foundation. To lay down a foundation. And so logos, which is used here, comes from that word to lay down a foundation. He's saying that when you speak the things of God, you're laying down a foundation for a new kingdom on earth. That's your role. That's your job. And so if we read these two verses, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these words out and we're going to put their definitions in. So let's read this verse with the definitions of the word in them. It says this, more importantly, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and refreshment and solid, admirable hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every admirable work for which you are in the business of and the words that you speak. You see, our job is not just to speak the realities of this world. Our job is to speak the realities of the kingdom of heaven because that's where we're from. That's who we are. We are not, once you accept Christ, the Bible says you are no longer a part of this world. You are an alien and a stranger to this world. Because you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And your job is to bring in heaven on earth to lay that foundation with the words that you speak and begin to build the foundation of the kingdom of God. Because i got news for you. One day, Jesus is coming to overthrow everything we know about this planet and set up his kingdom. What do you think the second return is all about? And our job is to start laying those foundations right now to share the love of Jesus. So how are we enabled to walk in sacrificial love? We're enabled because he is providing us eternal comfort, refreshing us with solid hope. As a result, we should be walking it out because it's why we're in this business. This is serious stuff. Paul's not playing games when he writes to the church of Thess- Church of Thessalonica tells the Thessalonians, guys, this is your job, but God's right there doing it with you. He's giving you solid hope. Just speak it and begin to lay the foundation. Speak the truth. Speak these things over your family. Speak these things over your life. Begin to confess these things over your family because it's who you are. If you're going to give out sacrificial love, you have to be serious about it. And you have to be willing to sacrifice You can't give away something that you don't have. And if you've not experienced the sacrificial love of Jesus, I want to encourage you this morning to check your heart. Have you experienced the sacrificial love of Jesus, and are you walking in that every day? Can you give that back out? Jesus died for me. I will die for him. And I don't mean physically, though for some around the world that happens. But I mean, will I die in my wants and my needs and my desires Right? Am I willing to die to what I want so that Christ can be glorified? If I look back at Joseph, right, and he ups and downs, ups and downs, but his experiences caused him to grow in influence so that he rose to prominence so that at the right time, God could use him 
And what everybody else meant for bad, God meant for good and turned the situation around. And it grew his influence, right? And so he was able to take and sacrifice some of what Egypt had stored up to bring his family into Egypt and protect them and feed them when other nations were dying of starvation. Can we do that for those around us? Can we use our experiences to influence the world for Jesus? And can we show sacrificial love? I think we can. We do. All of you that serve here at the church in some capacity, you sacrifice your Sunday morning. You say, this matters. Right? And you tell your neighbors, I can't. I'm going to church because this matters. That's a witness. That's a testimony. That's laying the foundation of the kingdom of God on this planet, in our world, saying, this matters. I'm going there this morning, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to participate, and I'm going to join community groups. I'm going to serve because this matters. This has weight. This is my testimony. This is my influence in the world. So I want to encourage you this morning. What matters to you? What matters to you? Let's stand up this morning, and let's just, um, let's go through these 10, let's confess these 10, let's read them together, let's read them together. Number one, are you ready? You ready? Yeah? Okay, look, I've got an 11-year-old up here that's louder than all of you. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Number one, I am fully... Forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. Number two, I act in audacious faith to change the world in my generation. Number three, I have no fear or anxiety. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. Number four, I am able to fulfill the calling God has placed on my life. Number five, I am fully resourced to do everything God has called me to do. Number six, I have no insecurity because I see myself the way God sees me. Number seven, I am a faithful spouse and a godly parent. Our family is blessed. Number eight, I am completely whole physically, mentally, and emotionally. Number nine, I am increasing in influence and favor for the kingdom of God. Number 10, I am enabled to walk in the sacrificial love of Jesus, of Christ. Yes. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you, God, that as we get ready and wrap this time up, that, Lord, your presence will go with us, that we'll walk out of this place today, take an inventory of ourselves, and wherever we find ourselves hanging out, maybe it's at a club, maybe it's on the job, maybe it's with family, with friends, wherever we find ourselves hanging out, Lord, let us be a light. Let us begin to lay the foundation of the kingdom that has come and is coming. Lord, may we be your voice in this world to lay that foundation. Grow our influence for you. Help us to love sacrificially in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, I'm going to ask uh, Aaron.
and Lori to be down here. You can make your way down. They want to pray for you. Otherwise, you guys have an amazing week. We love you. We'll see you next week.